I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, please turn there. I'm going to read the first 14 verses to you of this chapter. And as you're turning there or getting ready to uh, hear what is going to be read, just want to remind you that chapters 12 through 21 of John's Gospel cover one seven-day period. And we're going to be spending, you know, till basically Advent looking at those chapters together. And I would also remind you that chapters 13 through 17 are actually talking about one 24-hour period. So we're diving into this concentrated time in the life of Jesus. And there are three images that I'd love to put in your head because hopefully these are going to be the images that walk us through and help us see this passage together. And the first image is this. I want you to imagine someone giving you a gift that's all wrapped and has a nice bow on it. So I want you to think about a gift. I want you to think about the greater than sign. And I want you to think about a question mark. All right? Those three images will help you understand this passage. That's how we're going to walk through this passage together. A gift, a greater than sign, and a question mark. Got it? Make sense? All right. Well, here's God's word. John 14, 1 through 14. Listen to this. This is God speaking to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on, the, on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us. And we thank you for giving us your word to constantly be a source of truth, the truth that we are supposed to live by, the truth that explains all of reality, who we are, who you are, what you desire from us, what we're supposed to believe, how we're supposed to live. Lord, our lives are in your hands. So teach us, encourage us, challenge us. Continue to point us to your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, 
enliven our hearts to what is true so that we might feel as though our hearts are burning with desire within us because we're learning about the Savior. We pray in his name and for your glory. Amen. Remember that as we look at this section in John's Gospel 13 through 17, it's not only talking about one 24-hour period, it's actually talking about Jesus' bucket list. Do you remember we talked about this a little bit last week? Anybody have another item they'd like to share from their bucket list? Anyone? Okay. Uptown. When we talked about this last week, people volunteer that they as well would like to travel. We even had one young man say that he would love to meet Tom Holland, that Spider-Man, that he couldn't wait to do that. That'd be something he'd love to do before he goes on to the next life. Of course, it produced a big chuckle with everyone else. This is Jesus' bucket list. This is what he is thinking about as he goes to his death. This is what he wants to do with the last few hours of his life. All these chapters are telling you about what's on his mind and what's on his heart, even as he goes to die. Now, I mentioned to you that there are three images I'd love for you to have in your mind. One is a gift, the other is the greater than symbol, and the other is a question mark. So let's dive right in. And remember that from the outset, the first verse of this chapter sets the tone everything. It sets up the gift. It sets up the greater than. It sets up the question mark. The first verse, look at what it says. Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples were troubled and Jesus knew it. Now, let me tell you what's going on in the disciples' lives. This is what they had just heard. This is what they had just been told. This is what they had just experienced. They had been told that one among them was going to betray Jesus. And they didn't know who it was. They were also just told that another one among them was going to deny the faith, that he was actually going to fail. And this one was actually a leader. His name was Peter, and they were just told that he was going to fall on his face. They were also told that Jesus was going to die, and even though they had heard that many times before, it was still shocking to them. And they had also heard that it was actually not only that Jesus was going to die, but that he was actually going to leave them, and that it would be better if he left that they would be better off if Jesus left. And even more than that, they had just been told that they had a job to do, that they had responsibilities, that God had a call on their life. That's what they had just been told. That's what they had just experienced. Even though Jesus had washed their feet, those things were ringing through their mind. They were on their heart. They were troubled Can you relate to that, being troubled? Can you relate to hearing some shocking news that you weren't expecting? Can you relate to not only hearing some news that you weren't expecting, but also uh, having friends that are close to you 
that are having a lot of trouble in their life? Can you relate to the fact of putting all that together knowing you still have a job to do and still have responsibilities in your life? Can you relate to this kind of trouble? I can. One of the things that most connects with me in thinking about this is the following. One of the challenges of being a pastor is that if anything happens in my family, if someone unexpectedly dies or if someone dies, people generally look to me to help. Whether that means give advice, whether that means be present, or whether that means um, help out with a memorial service or whatever it is. And although I love my job, and it is a great, great privilege to get to do what God has called me to do, and I know that, it is still really hard, especially in those times because I can feel like at times I don't have space to grieve the one who is gone, the one who has died. Does that make sense? Here's shocking news. I still have a job to do. People are looking to me for things, and yet I don't have space to process stuff myself. I know what it's like to feel like trouble. Life is trouble. Let me give you a definition of trouble. Trouble is the result of encountering life in a fallen world. That's what trouble is. It's not the disciples have done anything wrong. It's not that Jesus is out to get them. Trouble is what happens when we encounter living in a fallen world. It's when we're doing our jobs. It's when we hear shocking news. It's when people are depending upon us, when we're confused, and yet we have to keep going. And you see, Jesus recognizes that in his disciples, in me, and I hope in you. Because if you can't connect with trouble, then the rest of this probably won't make sense at all. Because Jesus is giving us the truth that's in here in that moment. He's giving us the truth in a situation in which we hopefully can identify with. That we all know what it's like to feel troubled. Matter of fact, Jesus knew this very feeling and experience himself. This is the very word that's used to describe Jesus in chapter 11 when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and Lazarus has died. The Bible tells us that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. He was troubled because he encountered life in a fallen world. He had responsibilities. The news was shocking. People that he loved were grieving. He was troubled. It also occurs again in chapter 13. Jesus knows what this is like, and he can see it and smell it. He can identify it in those that he loves, in his disciples right here in John 14, and in us. And it's in the midst of that that Jesus gives a gift. You see? He senses that you're troubled, and this is his response. I want to give you something. And he actually gives two things. The first thing he gives is the Holy Spirit. He tells them about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is going to be given to them. The Holy Spirit is a gift. That's verses 15 through 31. We're going to hold off on that for two weeks, okay? So we're not going to talk about that gift this morning. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But here's the other gift that Jesus 
gives them and gives us. Here's the gift that Jesus gives a troubled people who know what it's like to live and encounter life in a fallen world. Jesus talks about home. You notice that? He says, I know you're troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many mansions. I'm coming back to get you so that where I am, you may be also. All those phrases are in the first few verses. Jesus is talking about home. He's talking about preparing a place for us. Because oftentimes when we're in trouble, we're trying to figure out, where do I belong? What am I supposed to do? Where is home base? What is concrete? Where is my foundation? And Jesus immediately says, in the midst of your trouble, don't forget about home. Have you ever thought about how powerful the idea of home is? The idea of belonging? The idea of a foundation? Have you ever thought about the power of that idea? The power of home? A number of years ago, I heard a song by Miranda Lambert. Perhaps you've heard it before. It's a song that is called The House That Built Me. Have you ever heard this song? If not, listen to these lyrics. Just three verses and then a chorus. and a, Just see if you can take this in. Here's what the song is. This is what it says. I know they say you can't go home again. I just had to come back one last time. Ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam, but these handprints on the front steps are mine. Up those stairs in that little back bedroom is where I did my homework and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know that under that live oak, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. Here's the second verse. Mama cut out pictures of houses for years from Better Homes and Gardens magazines. You remember that one? Plans were drawn and concrete poured and nail by nail and board by board. Daddy gave life to Mama's dreams. Here's the third verse. You leave home, you move on, and you do the best you can. And I got lost in this whole world and forgot who I am. And here's the chorus that she repeats each time. I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself. If I could just come in, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. You ever thought about the concept of how powerful the idea of home is? We all have a sense of longing. We all have a sense that we want to belong. It's strong. And even if you have grown up in an absolutely horrible, horrific environment, even if the rest of your life has been, this is the way I was treated and I need to do the opposite, even if you've had the most horrific home life, we all still want to belong and find rest. We all still want to find and figure out where we fit and where is our foundation. And here's why. You see, God created 
and we messed up, and we rebelled against God, and because of that, we are cursed, and the world is cursed. And part of being truly human, part of being a genuine, honest human being is recognizing our deep rebellion and the consequences that have come about because of our rebellion. And then from that, to link up with the story of reality that is God's story, God's rescue mission. We call it the gospel. We call it everything by grace. You see, Jesus is wanting us to connect trouble, what we experience living in a fallen world, with home. He's saying, disciples, those of you that are troubled, you will never be fully satisfied with this world or the things in it as it currently is. You'll never be satisfied. You are living in a world that no longer fits your deepest longings. Jesus is saying you're going to have trouble. Trouble is part of the story. Trouble is part of living in a fallen world. But you see, through the story of God, through his redemption, through his sovereignty, trouble is not wasted. The trouble that we experience and know means something. It means it's redeemed. It means it's enveloped into a much bigger story, a much grander story of what God is doing. So Jesus is not saying, hey, put on a happy face and go pretend. He's not saying, if you come to me, you can just ignore all that other stuff. And and if you come with me, that that stuff will never happen. He's not saying that at all. He's entering right into it. And he's saying, believe in me. Don't forget about home. Don't forget about the reality that I am going back to the Father. Don't forget about the fact that I'm going to return. Don't forget about the fact that I'm making a place for you. Don't forget you have home. Don't forget it's with me. And don't forget I'm returning. So keep working in the world. Keep laboring. Keep entering into the trouble. Keep entering into the struggles of living life in a fallen world, knowing that one day all things will be made new. That one day heaven and earth will be reunited. As a matter of fact, this is exactly how Paul describes the work of Christ in the first chapter of Ephesians. That one day he's going to come and again reunite all things. Well, Jesus says, you feel troubled? Don't forget about this. Don't forget about home. Don't forget that you're not going to fit here anymore. Because you're made for a world without disease and death. And I'm bringing that. I'm bringing that, Jesus is saying. Then look at the greater than. Next symbol. Look in verse 12. It's as if Jesus moves from the idea of talking about gift to then enhance and further their activity in the world in which they find trouble. Look at what he says in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Do you see that? Greater than? 
Jesus says, yes, you're longing for home, and yes, I'm going to bring it, but don't forget, you're going to do greater things than I have done. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, when you read through the New Testament and read through the rest of what goes on before the end of the Bible was written, what do you find? Well, here's what you don't find. You don't find the disciples walking around and getting in a boat and going out on the water and a big storm comes, and you never find the disciples controlling the weather through a few words. You don't ever find that, do you? You never find the disciples telling people, hey, I can forgive you of your sins. You never find that, do you? I don't think you do anyway. You never find the disciples uh, showing up at uh, wedding ceremonies and um, changing water to wine. My hunch is they might have abused that if they could do that. At least they would have been tempted to. None of them claim to die for other people's sins. What is Jesus talking about? When he says that his disciples would do greater works in the world, what is he talking about and how in the world does that relate to us? This is what it seems like. Jesus is talking about the work of the church. He's talking about the work of the church. You see, when Jesus died and when he rose from the dead and when he ascended back to the Father and when he is now seated, seated at the right hand of the Father and praying for us, when he left the world, he had about 12-ish disciples, you know, if you count Judas that betrayed and then another filled his slot. He left the world with about 12 disciples and a few other followers and that's it. And what's happened for the last 2,000 years, the work of the church, that God's people have been busy and committed to talking about this Christ. They have been active in living out their faith in integrating what they believe with their work. They have been carrying out having relationships that honor God and are showing forth the glory of God. They have been committed where God is blessed to have children and rearing those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They've been committed to talking about what they believe and growing in what it is that they believe and understanding and living that out. That's what God's people have been doing for 2,000 years. That seems to be what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about us living out our faith. He's talking about his people being blessed by God, carrying out God's will, repenting and believing, trusting and obeying, following their Savior throughout every moment that happens in their lives, throughout every encounter, every event, everything that's going on. They're thinking about God. They're seeking his glory. They're looking forward to the return of Christ. They're committed and interested in his kingdom. And all of this, as Jesus says right here in verse 12, is because he goes back to the Father. You'll do greater works than these, Jesus says, because I'll be back with the Father. I will be the ascended Christ, governing my church, protecting her, using her. Expanding the glory throughout the world. Isn't that amazing? 
You see the blessing we do at the end of the service that, you know, called benediction, that thing that, you know, happens where God promises to do things in you and to you and through you because of Jesus as you leave here and live out your callings this week? Oh, that's, ha- that's happened. That's going on. God has blessed his people all the way back, way back. He has promised to bless them every day and be with them. And it's been effective. It's been effective. And the disciples, you see, as they are troubled, could remember home, and they could even try to grapple with, we're going to do greater things than what you have done, Jesus? Well, that can, you know, pull you out of some trouble, can it? That can make you gain perspective and keep perspective about life and what's happening. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Jesus has been doing. Well, that brings us to the questions, because the questions are the, kind of the centerpiece, if you will, in this whole discourse. You can pick out that there are two questions here, one from Thomas and one from Philip. This is what Philip wants to ask Jesus. Look at verse uh, 8. Lord, Lord, can you just, can you just show us God? In the midst of hearing about home, feeling deeply troubled, have you ever had those moments? You know, the moments in which you are encountering living in a fallen world and you think to yourself, you know what, I don't want to think about the reuniting of all things and the fact Jesus is coming back and he's got a home. Maybe I don't want to think about the greater works that he's been doing through us since he rose from the dead. Maybe I don't want to think about that. Um, I just want God to show up now. You ever been there? Well, that's Philip. Can you just show us God, Jesus? Can you just show us God? Because we all know that's the greatest thing in the world, right? Thomas questions this. He, he, look at verse, um, around verse 5 and following. Uh, Thomas just says, Jesus, uh, we're not sure where you're going. Can you just give us an address? I want to enter it into my GPS, and then I'll just go there. All right, so you're talking about a home, talking about what you're going to do. Well, just give me an address. Drop a pin and uh, make it clear because I want to go right there. I'm going to know exactly how to get there. And Jesus answered. Look at what he says to Philip. Philip, um, to know me, Philip, to know me is to know the Father. I'm in the Father. He says that over. Jesus says that over and over and over in these verses. Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Talks about the works. Talks about his words. Talks about his life. He's thinking, Philip, don't you understand? My life, my words, my works are God's life. God's words. God's works. I'm God. The Father is God and I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are one. I'm in him and he's in me. To look upon me and to be taught from me is to be taught from God. To see the works that I do are to see the works of God. My life and what I have done in my life is God's life. He signs off on everything that I'm doing. I was sent here by him to do everything that I've been doing. And to Thomas, 
This is what Jesus says. Look at verse 6. It's probably the verse that you all know or have heard over and over. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did you notice that? Verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, everyone has a truth that they live by. Everyone. Don't, Don't fool yourself. You have a truth that you live by. If it's not the truth of God, then it's the truth of something else. Whether it's the truth of self or the truth of science or whatever it is, you're committed somewhere. You have a truth that you are connected to. You have a truth that you believe and trust. You have a truth that defines things for you, right and wrong, what makes you beautiful, what makes you successful, what makes you uh, meaningful, what gives you hope. You have a truth. Everyone does. And you see, what Jesus is getting at here is he is teaching us something far different from anything else. You see, everyone has a truth. And every other religion says, go and do this and you will find God. Go and do that and you will understand and find truth. Go and do this, go and do that, and you will know the way. Every other religion is instruction. Every other religion is technique. Every other religion. And Jesus is saying Christianity is not a technique. It's an announcement. It's a declaration. Oh, by the way, to go back just for a second, to every other religion says do this and you'll find this. Try this technique, try this method and you'll find God or find the way. Do you remember the last words of Buddha? Strive without ceasing. How about that? Strive without ceasing. That's not the message of Jesus at all. His message is, among others, it is finished. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, I am truth. I am life. I am the way. So if you want truth, then you have to have me. If you want to know the way to God, you have to have me. If you want to understand true life, you have to have me. He's not an advisor. He's not giving us a method. He's not giving us a technique. He's saying, come to me. You have to have me. You have to entrust your life to me. You see, there's a huge difference between giving directions and taking the wheel. Thomas says, uh, Jesus, can you give me the GPS? Can you, can, you, can, you, can you give me the physical address and I'll, and I'll just punch it in, I'll go there. And Jesus is like, no, let me take the wheel. And what he's doing throughout this text to disciples and to us is he is inviting us to believe, meaning, why don't you ride along in the back seat? I'm going to take the wheel, and you are more than welcome to get in, to believe. You are more than welcome. You are more than welcome to have me in your life and for me to define everything about you, everything. You see, life with Jesus is not what we do for God but receiving what he has done for us. Life with Jesus 
is not, is not doing for God, but living as if we have been done for. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross. At the end of the week, this will be the greatest weekend in the history of the world. You're troubled? Believe in me, my death, my resurrection for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you speak in plain language, that you sense that living and encountering life in this fallen world is difficult and brings about great trouble. And you look at us who know this trouble well, and you remind us of the gifts that you give us, your spirit and a place, a place to belong that is with you. Help us to remember the ways in which you have used your people and are spreading your glory for thousands of years. And help us again and again come back to you, that we would be refreshed and encouraged that we are to live our lives each day as if we have been done for. Thank you that you have done everything for us. We believe, Jesus. Help our unbelief. We pray this in your name. Amen.